Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Dr. Sarah Kabuli Najad, Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at On Running, talks with students about their individual power and responsibility to create more inclusive products, experiences, and teams as future leaders in the outdoor industry. Of course, thank you, Chase, for that wonderful introduction. I always, I just finished my PhD over the summer, so I always still get a little shocked when people are like, Dr. Kavoy Najat. I'm like, who is that? Maybe my grandfather, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to talk to all of you today. What a cool course. When Chase reached out, I I never had a class like this when I was an undergrad or grad school, so it sounds really, really cool. Um, I went ahead and put together just a little presentation to kind of walk through today, um, but you'll notice pretty quickly, I'm a very casual presenter. I have a very interactive kind of style when it comes to these things, so please feel free raise your hand or just unmute yourself, or I'll try to take a look at the chat if any questions come through, but I want to make sure you all really feel like this is a conversation and not me talking at you. Um, so yeah, does everyone, the, the perfect question for COVID, can everyone see my screen? All right, we got some thumbs up. So titling this was just arguably one of the hardest parts of this presentation. Um, but I've kind of called it diversity inclusion at work 101. And I put that in quotes because really there is so many things that could be covered under this topic, especially with a seminar like this. Um, you'll notice. So I was very grateful that Chase asked you all for some questions. I kind of tried to integrate a lot of the questions throughout the presentation, but even the questions that a lot of you had were so far reaching around so many different topics from personal experiences to marketing, to talent, to performance management. And so um, I tried to get to as many of them as I could, but this is really a starting point and we'll have a ton of time for questions at the end. So please feel free to, like I said, ask them throughout or ask them at the end of the session. But just as kind of a heads up of what we're going to go through today. So I always like to start with just a little bit about me. Who am I? Why am I talking to you today? What experience do I have in diversity and inclusion? going through a quick vocabulary lesson. So that sounds silly, but there's a lot of terms that float around in this space nowadays. And it's really important to be intentional about the words that we're using, taking a look at some numbers. So I always like to highlight a lot of data when it comes to topics of people or diversity and inclusion. And then really starting to talk about why is this topic important, not just for 
us as an individual working at an organization or for our teams, but also for the companies that we're choosing to work for. Why do we need to focus on these topics? How can a company actually show their commitment to DNI? And then a lot of you, which was really inspiring to see, how can you actually drive diversity and inclusion at the companies you already work for or the companies that you're hoping to move into after your coursework is done? And then plenty of time for Q&A at the end. Chase, remind me, this is this class ends at so in one hour at the 1230. Uh, yeah, it's a 50 minute class. So at the 20, okay. 20 minute mark, 20 minute mark. Perfect. Okay. So I will roll through this to make sure we have more than enough time for questions. So a little bit about me, like I said, this was the summer I got my PhD. So love this photo. Very exciting. But I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. So I'm from the Midwest. I did my undergrad and graduate studies there. So I got my bachelor's in psychology and a minor in history from Creighton. If anyone is watching March Madness, we pulled off some great things yesterday. So we will be playing again tomorrow. Highly recommend you all root for us. Um, and then I got my master's and PhD in psychology, specifically focused on workplace psychology from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. And it was through both my undergrad and graduate studies, which it seems like in having a, a session on something like diversity inclusion for you all, it's very similar that at the time that I was going to undergrad or going to grad school, which was not that long ago, um, roles as head of diversity and inclusion or someone who is specifically focused on this were very rare. I actually, I'd never really heard of it. So I never went to school wanting a role like this because they simply didn't exist, right? And it, what I really wanted to do, which I think you all should take into the roles that you're taking on, is how can I be aware of things related to diversity, equity, and inclusion and embed them into whatever role I decide to take on. And that is so far reaching. That can be if you work on a people or an HR team, that can be if you're in marketing, that can be if you're in production, if you're in research and development, really anything across the industries that you're looking to work on, you will benefit from having an understanding around diversity and inclusion. And that was really what brought me into the role that I have today. So I worked in HR technology. I worked in healthcare, mainly working in employee experience. But through all of that, I was always really interested, not just on what can we do to get people more engaged at work, reduce turnover, increase performance, but how does that differ for different groups of people? So we know men and women, for example, don't have the same experiences as at work. We know underrepresented racial groups don't have the same experiences as white people in organizations. We know disabilities have a huge impact on the way you experience the world of work. And whether or not you're in a diversity inclusion role, understanding these nuances is going to be incredibly powerful to make you all great teammates, great employees, but also great leaders and people who are going to change, not just, like I said, the HR function, but any function that you're working with at a company. Um, I touched on some of the industries that I've worked in in the past. So I'm newer to the, to the sports industry, to the running industry. Um, and then just a little, I like to humanize myself a little bit. I like to eat out. That's one of my favorite hobbies. I live in Northern California. So Napa and Sonoma are my second home. And I like to travel when it is safe to do so. So I want to jump into a couple quick kind of vocabulary terms, because a lot of times these words get really, they, we say diversity, equity, belonging, inclusion, all of these acronyms all in one. And a lot of times it's 
they're not the same things. These words do not all mean the exact same thing. So we need to be intentional on the words that we're using. And so when we talk about diversity, we're really talking about the range of human differences. So we can think about our demographics like race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, so on and so forth. And a lot of times you hear this clumped together with equity, equality, inclusion, belonging, but we want to be clear that diversity is one specific piece of that. I also always like to explain the difference between equity and equality because they are very different terms. So a lot of times we think, hey, why aren't we striving for equality? We want everyone to be treated the same. But there are a lot of instances where equity is actually the route you want to go. So because of the way our social structures are set up, because of the way we function as a world, people oftentimes have inherent advantages or disadvantages based on those demographics we talked before talked about before. And so if we're really looking to mitigate imbalances, we have to focus on equity. We can't treat everyone the same because not everyone is at the same starting line. And so what can we do not to focus on the starting point, but that end point? If we want everyone to have the same experiences at the end, we can't have a blanket approach on how we, how we handle different situations or the processes and programs we create. Next, we have inclusion, and inclusion is very closely tied to belonging. So inclusion is the actions we take to make a person a part of a group. We want, when we have a class, when we're on a team, when we're in a workplace, we want to make sure that every person within that group is given the same opportunities, that they're empowered in the same way. But then belonging is that ultimate feeling that you as an individual have. We want people to belong. I challenge all of you to take a second and think about a moment where you were, you really felt part of a group, whether that's your family or a sports team you were on or a class that you were in. And what happened was there were steps taken to increase inclusion within that group. And you ultimately felt that feeling of belonging. And I think we can all reflect on times that we felt like we belonged and how great that was, but also where we didn't feel like we belonged and what an impact that had not, not only on ourselves, but on others. And so now that we're reflecting on these definitions, we talked about diversity, we talked about inclusion, they're not the same things. And one of the questions that you all had shared was what does a diverse workplace actually look like? And so I would love if anyone feels comfortable unmuting to share, or if you want to drop something in the chat, what do you think? I mean, we've all, whether we've had jobs or not, um, we've been in situations, what does, what is diversity? I think it's people with like different experiences, not necessarily like it doesn't have to focus on the person itself, but like rather what they've gone through and what they've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So not just, it doesn't always have to be about the individual, but what are the experiences, their thinking patterns, the way that they approach a problem? Any other thoughts? I think maybe a diverse workplace is one in which all input is valued equally. I think 
the more diverse uh, ideas, the better the solutions are usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mark, it's almost like you've seen my future slides. <laughs> oh, sorry. For me. Um, <laughs> but no, absolutely. It's, again, different thought processes, different types of people. If we really think about diversity, you can define this in a million different ways. It can be people of multiple nationalities, of different racial groups, of different gender identities, of different sexual orientations, but really bringing all of those people together as diversity. And then Mark, what you touched on is that inclusion piece where all the ideas are valued the same. It's not that the same group's ideas are always the ones that are taken and moved forward with and focused on. And I will tell all of you that this is not the first slide I ask for input from you all. And one of the greatest skills I have developed as a head of DNI is being very comfortable with silence. So I will give you that heads up for future interactive activities. Um, but I want to share some numbers. So when we think about diversity, I limited this specifically to my realm of expertise. So I work within the running industry, but a lot of these numbers can be generalized across sports, outdoor activities. Um, so why is it that we struggle with diversity in the running industry and in a lot of other a lot of other spaces? So a 2011 study found that 90 percent of runners were Caucasian, five, a little over 5% were Hispanic, about 4% were Asian Pacific Islander, and less than 2% were Black. Only 23% of trail runners are women. And there's a ton of other studies and research out there that tells us that there's a lack of diversity in the running industry. I want to I wanna turn it over to all of you again. So why... Do we have any ideas of why this is the case? Is it simply that only white men like to go running? I believe it has to do with the history of what we in America itself had available to us. Traditionally, women couldn't run historically because they didn't have the equipment to do it. And sure it's available now, but that's still something traditionally not looked as a woman's sport. And same thing with other races. It's not something that they had access to because white people didn't allow them to have the access. Yeah, Matt, I love the point that you touched on. And I think it's something that I talk about so often when we talk about the industry as a whole is sometimes people say, oh, well, well, now running is open to everyone. Like you have the tools, you can just do it. But we need to reflect on the societal expectations. It's been so ingrained in us that only certain types of people are supposed to be runners. And this expands beyond race and gender. We can think a lot about physical ability or body type right? What does a runner look like? Is if you ask a hundred people, a lot of them are going to tell you the exact same thing, but that's not the case. But that creates a psychological barrier and a feeling of a lack of inclusion, right? If people don't feel like they're supposed to do something, you don't always want to be the the ceiling breaker or someone who's going to go against the norm. It's really difficult to do that. And so a couple of studies on why this is the case. So Gatorade recently did a great study on 
what are barriers to entry in endurance sport for underrepresented groups? And the number one reason that they found was safety. And very similarly, in 2019, there was a study done that found that 68% of women experience sexual harassment or assault in public spaces. That includes streets, parks, and trails. So if we think even from a basic safety access, a safety point of view, maybe I have access to trails, maybe I have access to a track, maybe I have a pair of running shoes, but if I don't feel safe participating in that activity, am I going to take part in that activity? I think even a more glaring example specific to the running industry is Ahmad Arbery, and he was murdered going on a run. That is going to deter people from participating in this sport. There's also a barrier to entry simply from a cost perspective. So if you want to run in a race, that costs money. It's not always a free activity to participate in if you're trying to get to that next level. If you want to run in marathons, that is more than $100. That's a very expensive activity to participate in. And if we think about access as well, it's a privilege to have a school that has a track, to live in an area that has a safe place to run. If you live in an urban area, if you leave, live deep in a city, you may not have trail running. You may not even have sidewalks where you feel physically safe to run. And we also know there's a major lack of representation, not only in the athletes that participate in these sports, but in role models to look up to, in the marketing materials that are often produced from organizations. And while this is getting better, there's still a ton of work to do in all of these different aspects. Sarah, can I share a quick example? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have a family member uh, or someone very close to me, a woman who stopped running outside because she felt threatened. She bought an indoor, like a treadmill, just so she could run inside because she didn't feel comfortable doing that in our neighborhood um, here in Logan, actually. So um, just to emphasize that that point. Yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunately, it's a very real experience for a lot of people. And so if we, I want to move the conversation. So we know that the running industry or the outdoor industry, the sports industry has an issue here, but let's think about as our organizations. So why is diversity inclusion important for us as individuals, for our teammates, and for the teams that we work on. So again, I'm very I'm data and research oriented. Um, research has found that diversity and or inclusion is associated with lower turnover. So people are less likely to leave your organization. From a team perspective, I can tell you it's, it always sucks when someone leaves because they know things, they're doing things, the projects you're working on are delayed. From an org perspective, it costs a lot of money to replace people. More diverse organizations, more inclusive organizations have more engaged employees. So people want to go above and beyond. People are excited to go to work. People are excited for the things that they're working on. They also perform better. You do a better job when you're on a diverse and inclusive team and you make better decisions. Mark, you brought this point up. You are more creative when you're in diverse teams. You innovate more. The most innovative things that have happened in the world come from groups where people challenge one another. And that's because they bring those diverse perspectives right to the table. 
But I want to highlight here, especially you can bring as many diverse perspectives to the table. If you don't have a safe and inclusive space for people to share those ideas, it doesn't matter. So these two, while they're different things, they go hand in hand. You really can't do one without having the other. And if we think about this on a company level as well, people are more likely to buy or consider buying products if they view advertisements that are diverse or inclusive. So when I see an ad on TV, when I see a company that's consistently doing a great job of representing tons of different types of people that talk about teamwork, that talk about the human spirit and how we can all come together, I want to shop there. And that's not always an explicit thing. It can be a very implicit process. There's a lot of research that also shows if I even just see someone who looks like me in advertisements, not only am I more likely to purchase that product, but I'm also more likely to become interested in that idea of whatever it is that they're selling. So there is a huge responsibility on the outdoor industry from marketing teams on the stories that we tell. And they shouldn't always be a monolith of the same type of people talking about the same types of things. Let's bring in diverse perspectives in the stories that we tell because those role models are really, really important to the next generation. We also know diversity is just straight up associated with greater financial performance for an organization. And a lot of that comes from the innovation, from the creativity, from there's a ton of research if you have a diverse board, specifically having more women on your board of directors, you are going to make better decisions. You are going to perform better. And we also found that during the recession in 2008, people tended to continue increasing their investment in diversity, even when other activities around corporate social responsibility decreased. And that's because companies saw, hey, even if we're struggling financially, we know the importance of these activities. We need to continue investing in them because it's only detrimental to us if we cut these activities off. And I'm sorry, I'm having some weird transitions here, but if you are interested, Catalyst has a great study at the bottom of this page and I can share that link with you, Chase, afterward if anyone's interested. And so we touched on this a little bit. I'm going to ask you all to participate again. I know it's terrible. Um, but we touched on what is a diverse organization. So one of you had asked, what, what is an inclusive workplace? Someone had asked, what are the best ways to make people from underrepresented demographics feel comfortable sharing their ideas and opinions in the predominantly white settings that most outdoor companies consist of? So I want to ask all of you, we know it's inclusion. We need to have an inclusive work environment for people who have different perspectives, who have different ideas to share that. But what does that actually mean? What does that look like? So one thing I see a lot on um, in sort of the outdoor community is like sort of reducing the, the amount of like sort of like almost competition because you know everyone's everyone wants to be the best skier or biker or anything and that makes it hard for new people to get in mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. i love that so focusing more on the community and the things we can all engage in you don't have to be number one you don't have to be the best person to do an activity and i think also 
Part of that is extending grace and empathy to new people, right? Let's not make fun of, I'll say my personal example, I just started skiing at 25. It's a terrifying activity if you've never done it. I am going to break a hip and I'm not at an age where I should be worried about that activity, but it's not fun when people make fun of you or pressure you or ask why you can't do things. Let's extend some empathy when people want to enter a new sport and show them how to do things the right way and show them how they can actively participate something in participate in something in a safe way. Maybe take a second. Oh, is someone going to unmute? Uh, yeah. I was just going to say in regards to a workplace, like Mark touched on this earlier, but just consistently asking for input, um, even if it's people outside of your team or like if you're a designer, maybe going to like the PLM or the developers and asking for their input on a design decision and things like that, just because um, the more opinions and like, I don't know, experiences that other people have, they're not yours. And if you just go off what you think, you're going to like tunnel hole all your work. Absolutely. That's such a good point, Nash. And honestly, that goes even beyond an inclusive work experience, workplace, right? If we, if we have product designers that are designing things and not considering marketing or input from the companies we want to sell to or input from the consumer, you can have the greatest idea ever. But if we can't deliver on it in the other parts of the business, it doesn't matter. So that's both from an inclusion perspective of making sure people feel like they can share their opinion, but also from very much a business perspective. And so when we think about companies, what can companies actually do to show their commitment when it comes to diversity and inclusion? I encourage whether you all found your own company one day, you're in a leadership position, or you're working at a company, think about diversity and inclusion both internally and externally. So this shouldn't be something, one of the things I always share that I love the most about my job is my role isn't limited to the HR team. My role spans across marketing, across product, across sales, across all of these different functions, because that's truly when you talk about being successful at these things, you have to consider all of the different aspects. And so a couple, these aren't by no means is this a robust every single thing you should do, but a couple of starting points. So one, take a look at all of your people processes through an inclusion lens really be critical on yourself. Is our performance management system, is our hiring process, is the way that we give feedback, is this an equitable experience for everyone? Are people having the same experiences and the same outcomes, or are they different based on demographics? Are women consistently getting lower performance ratings than men? Are white people getting hired at a much higher rate than other racial groups? Do we give feedback to people in different ways depending on the person that they are? As a part of this too, take a look at your physical work environment. There is a, so many resources out there now that can help you really reimagine how can we ensure people physically can come into your office? 
Obviously, with a virtual work environment, this is a little bit different, but there's also things you can consider. So do all of your teammates have the same ability to use a laptop? Do you need to consider screen readers? Do you need to consider bigger monitors for people who may be visually impaired? Are there other things that you can provide proactively so that people feel like regardless of their background, they have the same ability to participate in the workplace? I also challenge companies all the time. We have a role to play in amplifying and highlighting underrepresented communities. That's through the content we create, the stories we share, the photos and the videos we share. And the biggest part of this is there is a strong connection of the internal and external side here. So not only what are the stories we're sharing, but who's behind the camera? Who's the writer of those stories? We need to make sure that it is our responsibility and that we're taking taking accountability to ensure that these stories are told in a proper way and in an authentic way. And that means not always taking an outside-in approach. Another piece of this is building a continuous feedback and learning culture. So I always say it on, diversity inclusion is the never-ending marathon. We will never be done with this work. We will never say, cool, we are diverse today. We're inclusive today. Sarah can quit her job and we will just maintain this as it is. Because inherently, when you're talking about people, people are constantly changing. The world is constantly changing. And we need to continue advancing and moving forward as we learn new things and being critical about every aspect of the workplace. And that means being really open that, you can spend 50 years focusing on diversity inclusion, you're going to make a mistake. You're not going to know something. You're going to trip and fall, and that is okay. You just have to be open to continuing to learn about these topics and being open when people share feedback that, hey, maybe that wasn't inclusive or maybe that wasn't the best decision. As an organization and even as individuals, you can set goals related to diversity and inclusion. So what are things as a team, and these aren't always going to be hard and fast OKRs like you do in, with sales numbers or ads or something like that, but hey, maybe you say, once a week, I am going to read an article that talks about biases, and I am going to take one action to make sure that I am aware of my biases and push back when I see them happen in the workplace. And so thinking about some of these tips, I want you all to take a second and think about, we all have companies in mind, companies that you think are really committed to diversity and inclusion. Why do you feel that way? Whether it's things we talked about on the last slide, or is there other things that you see companies doing that shows their commitment to diversity and inclusion? And this can be in the, in the outdoor space, in the sports world. This could be a tech company. This could be a nonprofit. Um, one that I always think of is there's a company out of California called Big Bud Press mm -hmm. that um, all of their models are like different sizes, like from all the way from petite to plus size. And then they do like, they just do a really good job of marketing, like different nationalities and different like people. They just do a good job. Yeah. yeah, that's an awesome example showing that I'm not familiar with the brand. So I don't know what they are they clothing 
I didn't hear what the name was. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a clothing company called okay. Big Bud Press. Okay, awesome. I will definitely have to check them out. But yeah, showing and that when you do something like that, the very cool thing is not only are they showcasing different body types, for example, from a marketing perspective, that means their product is also built for different body types, which is phenomenal. That shows that holistic commitment to what we're talking about. Nate, I see you raised your hand. Yeah, I had uh, seen recently the thing called the Elevation Grant, which I believe was started by Marmot, and it's Marmot, Sony, Coleman, Smartwool, Bronco, and Peak Design, who's a camera company, and they are basically offering a grant for people from underrepresented communities to do photography and in the outdoors so they can grow grow their communities that way, which I think is really big because it seems that a lot of companies can in ways take advantage and almost like tokenize some of these communities without actually supporting them versus in this case, they're really trying to actually support and put money into their hands so that they can do their own thing instead of kind of just being like, oh yeah, we support these people, but we may not actually be supporting their communities and like helping them grow in the outdoors. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point. And I know that there was a question that came through around tokenization of some of these communities. And that is a big piece. And that's something that we hold ourselves to a really high standard on of we, if we're going to engage with a community, we are fully going to be there and support a community. It isn't a photography opportunity. It's not an ad opportunity, but what can we actually do to amplify a community in the way that they want to be amplified and then continue to support them? beyond that specific point in time. And then a lot of you asked, which I love, what can you actually do to drive diversity and inclusion at your company? So there's obviously not all of us can can review our hiring process and talk about the different steps we should take if we're not in that role. But as individuals, there's a lot of things that we can do. So First is really educate yourself. There is so much information out there around things like unconscious bias and different places it can show up. So whether that's in hiring or performance management and not only educate yourself, but then commit to pushing back when these types of biases happen in the workplace. So we can all be very strong allies to our teammates. If we see something coming up, if someone is constantly interrupting a woman in a meeting we can all say, hey, can we let her finish? It seems like you keep interrupting her. Also get to know your teammates. So when we think about, if we all reflect on really inclusive places that we've been, that starts with psychological safety. And psychological safety is a really nice way of saying we're comfortable being around one another. We can be our authentic selves around one another. And that starts with building trust. You can't just meet a classmate or a teammate or your boss and the next day be completely divulging very personal information about yourself. But if you take the time and get to know your teams and build that rapport and build those relationships, that's when it is actually a lot easier to share feedback and to continue to learn and to build these relationships where we are incredibly inclusive. Again, being really open to feedback. So we all are going to make mistakes. I make mistakes around diversity inclusion, and it is my full-time job. 
But the key and the hardest part is we have to acknowledge those mistakes and then commit to learning and growing from those mistakes. And again, we talked about allyship, so I won't read this piece to you again. But with this, what are, what are some other ideas that all of you have? Is there anything that you're doing that you're like, hey, I really feel like this makes for a successful, inclusive environment, whether that's a workspace, whether that's within a classroom? Nate, go ahead. One thing that I have had been trying a lot, um, working on past DEI committees and stuff, and it's kind of hypocritical of me even talking right now, but just the idea that white men have had so much input for so long and are so used to talking whenever they want and dominating conversations. And so literally just talking less and giving other people more of an opportunity to give their opinions because it's so much, it's just ingrained in history and in the past of us to just overwhelm a conversation and act like it's only our views and opinions that matter. Yeah. I think it's a a wonderful point, creating the space for, for others to be able to come in and enter conversation. I know one of the things that I always try to practice doing in meetings is before we move on to a different topic, I will ask every person who has not spoken in the room, did you have anything that you want to add to this? And creating that space where someone can speak up and someone can share something if they haven't been comfortable doing so thus far. Awesome. I know I spoke about three minutes longer than I was planning to. So we have 12-ish minutes for questions. I do also want to, this was a miss on my part. I wanted to create a beautiful slide that talked about how if you're ever interested in opportunity at on to please reach out because we always are looking for the freshest talent. And it seems like you all have a pretty great background to get into the industry. Um, But with that, like I said, please feel free to reach out not only about on, but I would not have the job that I have if it wasn't for networking and talking to people in industries and talking to people who are in the real world and do the jobs that I was interested in. So I am personally very committed to always giving back. So always please add me on LinkedIn or Chase has my email. Please feel free to share that Chase and reach out if you ever have any questions or any ways I can support you. But with that, I'm happy to leave about 10 minutes for any questions if anyone has any. I'm curious what type of um, like diversity, and I know you're not necessarily on like the design team, but as part of that um, position, your position, what type of diversity and different groups have you had to design for um, within the running community and what has been the challenges and what um, types of things have you like come up with to be able to address those differences? Yeah, absolutely. So this is something that is a constant work in progress. So I can't, I, I don't have very specific things that I can share here, but I think one of the biggest learnings that we have found as a team is to not be assumptive around some of those design initiatives. So for example, me as uh, I'm just trying to think of a specific group. Me as someone who has 
a full ability to run. I have two legs. I'm totally can go out and go on a run in that sense. I cannot speak for the adaptive athlete community. I cannot make assumptions around what that community would need from a design perspective. And so instead of us making assumptions, which I think a lot of times brands have done, let's actually bring in experts and people from those communities to make those changes from a design perspective. I also think very much from an inclusivity lens, let's think about the different types of products that we need for different types of people. So there isn't always a need, for example, to design something different for, let's just say like International Women's Day, amazing holiday, love it. We just did a bias workshop at the company today. It was great. But from a sustainability perspective, is that a need from the women's community to create a t-shirt that says International Women's Day? Not necessarily. Should we focus our time more on how do we create products that actually work for women and women's bodies type differently? Yes. That's where we should be exerting our energy. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, thank you. Do you know anything about the design team at ON? I know that they are based in Switzerland, correct? So uh, how, I guess, diverse is their design team? Do you have, is it an English speaking design team or is it multiple different languages? Do you know anything about the team? Yeah, so I can I can definitely share what I know. If there's a lot of interest on the design side, I'm happy to reach out and see if there'd be anyone who would be able to speak to this group. Um, from a very business perspective, our business language is English. So there is an English-speaking proficiency across any one of our locations. Um, and I think the beautiful thing, especially with our European team, is there's so many different nationalities that are represented in any one of our offices across Europe, because that is the nature of kind of working there. So it is very diverse. It's very cool. I, whenever I've gone to the Zurich office, you walk around and you hear Spanish, German, Swiss German, which is very different than German, German, um, English, Italian, like so many different languages that are spoken in the office. So I would be curious now that I'm thinking about it, because I think we have a handful of people who speak French. So maybe some of those conversations happen in French. <laughs> I've, I've got a, a question here. Um, in a previous presentation, um, one of our guests talked a lot about company culture. Um, in, a, in a previous year, we had a guest speaker talk about like how to like as the students are evaluating whether they want to work for a certain company, like looking at the company culture is, is a, a critical piece to that. You're interviewing the company almost as much as they're interviewing you in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, how would you recommend students decipher whether a company is truly invested in DNI efforts or if it's more performative? Like, is there, I, there's probably not a hard and fast way of doing that, but any recommendations there if students want to really understand if a company is, is committed versus just, you know, doing the bare minimum or something more performative? Yeah, a million percent. And I love that you all have this advice because I, I haven't always followed it. And it really is strong advice that you are interviewing the companies as much as they're interviewing you. So 
I even fall into this trap where I'm like, I just want the job. I don't care. I'll take anything. But you really, especially with the background that you all bring, you will be interviewing the companies as much. And I would say when it comes to diversity inclusion, along with any other culture initiatives that are super important to you. So like work-life balance, um, parental leave, any of these things that could be important to you as an individual, like diversity inclusion, I ask very directly. I will just say, hey, what are the, the diversity inclusion initiatives that you have? And if you can't answer them, because that is sometimes the case, maybe the individual you're interviewing with can't answer them. If they have no answer at all, that's probably an answer in and of itself. But if they say, hey, these are a couple of things I know about, you can also ask, can I can I talk to someone who, if they have employee resource groups that you identify with? So maybe if they have a women in tech group, can I talk to someone from there and just like hear about their experience? Um, can I hear about like, what are the different programs you have? Do you bring in speakers? Do you, what are the opportunities to learn about diversity inclusion at the organization? And you'll be able to tell if people are, if it is a serious investment, because people should be able to tell you at least one thing. Do I think anyone who's an interview interviewer, for example, at On knows every single thing that I do in my role? Probably not because my a lot of the things I do are very limited in the talent team, but they would be able to tell you something. And I think it's also worth noting in your interview experience, who are the people that are interviewing you? So do they all look the same? Do they all have the exact same experience, the exact same background? Because that's really telling. And also, how do you feel in the interview experience? I'll share just a, a personal story about the last role that I took on. I was interviewing at two very similar companies, same industry, same role, competitors. And in one interview, every time I left an interview, I was so pumped. It was so great. I was really, really excited about the company. And in the other org, I've every interview I left, I was like, I'm dumb. I didn't answer that question correctly. I didn't say what they were asking for. This is really stressful. And you would think that I would realize what the correct answer is of what company to go with, but I was really struggling. And I had a friend who said, Sarah, think about how you feel after those experiences. If you're already feeling this stressed, you probably are going to feel that way when you work at that company. It's not going to change. And so there is a reality. If you feel not included, if you don't feel like it's a safe environment when you're in these interviews, it is probably really indicative of the culture that they've created at the company. That's super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we have time for one more. Um, I have a question. Uh, we just talked about being open to feedback and like being an ally to teammates um, and some of these other soft skills. Um, do you have any examples of how to maybe portray that like on a resume or during an interview or how to show off, you know, some of the soft skills that maybe we have um, during that process? Yeah, that's a good one. And that is a very tough thing. I don't, I would have to reflect on how to do that on a resume necessarily. But I think that there are ways that you can exhibit that within an interview. So I think even in, in the questions that a lot of you asked today, I can get a pretty good indication on the thoughtfulness behind your responses and how deeply, how deep of an understanding you have around some of these topics. And so 
I think in interviews and in conversations, especially a lot of the times within an interview panel or within that lineup, there'll be time set aside where you can ask about the culture, where you can ask about where they ask you about feedback or how do you like to be coached or how do you work in these types of environments? And in those situations, I would highlight, hey, diversity inclusion is really important to me. I'm really committed to learning more about this. I'm really, I'm always open to feedback. I know one of the things I say in any interview I've ever had is, I want to be coached. I want to learn from leaders in the space. And I'm very open to that type of learning, but that's the the environment that I'm looking for. And really highlighting that verbally is important because again, it's, it's an opportunity for you to express what you want in the organization as well. Because if you you do want feedback and you want to learn and you want to grow, a company may say, you know, we don't really do that here. And then that's your decision of if that's actually an environment where you feel like you'll thrive. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, do you value like LinkedIn trainings that are related to DEI that show up on like a LinkedIn page? Like are those things that stand out or are valuable or, or show that someone is is putting in at least some time into that or, or does, is that not something that you look at? I'm just thinking of like, if like, to your point, um, Noah, if, if you want to be able to put something on there to, to signal that you're, you're making an effort, does that make any sense? You know, I'm not as familiar with like the LinkedIn trainings. I know now that you're giving that example, though, one thing, if you have been involved in some sort of diversity and inclusion organization, definitely highlight that or any type of diversity inclusion work. So for example, I led an employee resource group at my last organization that was focused for people of color. And that is a thing I put on my resume because that is work that I did. And so I think a lot of times we limit ourselves in our resumes to formal work experience. But if you're volunteering at an organization, if you're leading an initiative that should go on your resume. And it's the exact same for diversity inclusion initiatives. If you're doing the work, put that on your resume. <laughs> and, and there's ways to get involved on with clubs on campus. We have a great inclusion center here. Maybe there's some ways to get involved that way. Our program, we've started a DEI student committee that coordinates with our DEI faculty committee. And so if you want to be a part of that, email me or email Julie. Um, and we can get you to, to be involved in that too. Um, and I would also say, I know we're out of time, but you can build some of this into your portfolio projects, whether you're PLM or development or design. I mean, the types of projects and consumers you're designing for will signal that too and show that you're thoughtful about this, these topics. So anyways, Sarah, this has been fantastic. Super helpful, super informative. Great questions from everybody. Um, thanks for taking the time. I know a number of people have already connected with you on LinkedIn. Is that probably the best way to move forward and reach you? Absolutely. Please feel free to connect me in with connect with me. Ooh, it's Friday. Um, in that way, or Chase, please feel free to send everyone my email address. I can say I'm not the best at getting back to LinkedIn messages, but I try really, really hard. But email is a much better way to reach me. Um, but this has been a pleasure. You all are great. This is a phenomenal seminar. I'm really happy to be here and I hope to stay connected with a lot of you moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel or on opdd.usu.edu podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product 
and let us know how you're enjoying the show.